0: exodus chapter thirty three so where we find ourselves in our journey through the scriptures. While we're turning there, those of you who <clears throat> don't, uh, weren't here on uh, This Morning services just uh, realize that women's la- Ladies' Bible Study starts this week. Also, Chili Cook-Off, uh, September 29th. And uh, tickets are available for that uh, table out in the Fellowship Hall to ask questions and get a praise to that. A great night of Fellowship. I love it every year and just being able to hang out together together and have a good time uh, together in the Lord. Well, the last time we were together here in the book of Exodus, um, Exodus chapter 32 is just a uh, a terrible, terrible kind of... You know, mark on the history of of the nation of Israel and their relationship with God as they uh, were drawn away so easily and uh, so completely to the worship of a golden calf. and and immorality associated with the worship of it and the dismissal uh, to such a disrespectful dismissal of Moses after all that he had done for them and I mean it's just a terrible terrible meltdown now they will surpass it Uh, a couple more times in their history but it's not a a happy chapter uh, in the history of God's people and when a people or when an individual child of God experiences a meltdown of that degree there are one or two questions that then fill our minds and that is um, is there any hope for me in the future Uh, is there any future for me in God Will he ever use me again? Will he ever care about me again? Are all of his promises, you know, null and void and off as it relates uh, to my life? And these are the things that God's people are kind of processing at this time. And it's a, uh, I don't know if you've been in that place, but it's a fairly miserable place to be, even if... A person doesn't sin uh, quite as dramatically as they did in this particular situation. They're real questions, and God knows that they're going on in our lives at a time like that. And as he continues now, Moses does uh, the narrative of God's work and the lives of his people. He begins to answer some of those questions. And then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here where they had sinned, you and the people whom you have brought brought out of the land of Egypt uh, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob saying to your descendants I will give it. So he says it's time to leave here and now to move on toward the land of promise, the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey. And basically what this did for for Moses and for the children of Israel was it breathed hope into their lives they realized God is not through with us. He is going to stay committed to His plan for us as His people. The basis upon which God remains committed to His plan through them is not on the basis of whether they were good or they were bad or they were right or they were wrong. He maintains His commitment to them and His plan through their lives on the basis of the fact that He had sworn That it would be through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would bring those people into the land and then ultimately bring a savior into the world. So he is continuing in his plan uh, uh, dealing with their life not based upon their faithfulness. But based upon his faithfulness to his word, uh, in the New Testament we're told that uh, that speaking of our uh, faithlessness, that God is always faithful; he cannot deny himself. One of the great blessings for us as Christians, as we come to know uh, God and we are saved through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we have entered into a covenant, an agreement with God on the basis of Jesus's blood. Not on the basis of my doing right or doing wrong or I had a good day or a bad day or any of those kinds of things. I know that one day I'm going to stand uh, before a glassy sea in heaven itself and worship God face to face simply because of my faith in Jesus Christ and because of His promises to those who have put their faith in Him. Now a person can look at that and say, well... If you have that kind of confidence of being in heaven and, and the thing is so weighted toward God's faithfulness, all you're going to do is produce a bunch of uh, rascals. You're just going to produce a bunch of people who are going to say, I'm on my way to heaven, so it doesn't matter how I live, and so I'll live like the devil now, and, and, and I'll get there. Ne- it will never happen. In in a child of God that's truly born again. I mean a person may live like that for a day or a night or a week or a month or maybe even a bit longer on things. But a person that's really been born again is going to be back. Why do I obey God? Why do you obey God? Because God is threatening me with my salvation every single day. Nope, that's not why. The reason that I obey him is because of his great love for me that he shows every single day and that he showed supremely in Jesus Christ. We love him because he first loved us. The hardest thing in the world to sin against is love and the goodness of God. It's what brings us back to him. It's what makes us say my God is such a great God. He's such a caring God and he's been so good to me. I don't want to sin because I don't want to hurt his heart. And that's a far higher motivation for obedience. So God extends tremendous grace to them. They would have kind of sighed a breath of of relief. God's not through with us. His plans and purposes for us as a people now. He's going to move forward uh, in that. And if you've ever been in that place where you're, you know, with bated breath waiting, you know, for whether God's going to give us a second chance or not, uh, you know how they must have felt and then how relieved it is to realize that God is a God of second chances and even beyond. He said to Moses I will send my angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. And so the Lord now, uh, at, at this point, He uh, promises uh, to uh, to Moses here that He's going to drive out, just as He had promised before, all of the people that were inhabiting what uh, Canaan or what was, is called the Promised Land. But now He declares that He is not going to go with them into the Promised Land, but that He is going to send His angel uh, before them, and so uh, He refuses to go uh, with them to the promised land, his his displeasure with them, the consequences of their sin, still continues in a, in a measure uh, among them. It's interesting, in Exodus chapter 20 verse 20 uh, through 23 the Lord had promised uh, that the angel of the Lord was going to accompany them and bring them into the land. Now that angel that he speaks of there is a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnate uh, uh, speaking of, of Jesus Christ. And the reason that we know that he talking about this angel as being divine or God is by virtue of this angel's authority to forgive sin only God can forgive sin Jesus uh, correctly said and and so back in exodus chapter 20. He's talking about Jesus, uh, you know, as a messenger of God leading them into the promised land. Now because of their sin, they're going to be accompanied by an angel, a messenger, uh, you know, a regular angel, if you want to talk about regular (laughs) angels, but something less than the one originally planned. And so just an ordinary created angel. Now that's fabulous. Uh, uh, if you compare it to, um, you know, Tim Studi taking me into the promised land. and Tim's a wonderful man, but an angel's a little bit better. Uh, but God is a lot better than an angel. So this is still a tremendous promise here, but it's less than his personal uh, presence. And the beautiful thing we're going to see here is that uh, Moses, uh, he listens and he accepts it on one hand, but he is not interested in going into the promised land led by an Angel, He wants to be led by God, as we'll, we'll see here in just uh, a moment. The Lord gives His reason for not accompanying them. Into the promised land, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up with you, uh, go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people, or a rebellious uh, people. Now, it isn't like God is being uh, punitive here, or, or overly cruel. He, it is actually an act of mercy on His part. He's still uh, waiting. He knows everything, but He's still waiting for them to settle. Uh, kind of have it settle on them the seriousness of what they have done in the worship of of the golden calf and if they're going to have kind of a relapse into that thing God's saying it's best that I am not in your midst in my fullness or uh, just my righteousness would probably wipe all of you out. And so the Lord is saying, I cannot bless a rebellious people with the fullness of of my my presence. And in the New Testament, he says much the same thing. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit uh, by whom we've been sealed. Paul wrote to the Ephesians. uh, We're told when Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, do not quench uh, the Holy Spirit. And so when a person sins, they do a golden calf thing or deliberately rebels against God. There's an effect upon the power Power of God's presence upon our lives and with us uh, because he is grieved God is grieved and uh, uh, here is a case of of it being a merciful thing for them while they're getting recommitted back uh, to the Lord uh, fully and God is working toward that end Now, when the people heard this bad news that God wasn't going to personally escort them into the promised land they mourned, and so they were saddened by this news so they're um, they're learning here. They've, made a, they've sinned, made a big mistake here on things, and uh, but now this, this idea that God, their sin has caused uh, God to distance himself from them on some level, it's created a, a sadness in them. The Bible talks about godly sorrow, working repentance. So godly sorrow over my sin. God doesn't protect me from that when I sin. He'll let me feel the sorrow of, of my sin that I've committed against him so that I'll learn what I'm supposed to learn from that situation so I don't repeat the same thing uh, again. So he forgives us, gives us a second chance, but he doesn't protect us from all of the consequences. He protects us from condemnation, but he allows us to go through uh, some of the consequences in order to teach us to never get close to that sin again. And so they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments all of their jewelry and jewelry. And everything that they did to kind of deck out, kind of a Mercedes-Benz, uh, anyway, whatever they wore in those days. And for the Lord had said to Moses, say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people, I would come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. And so the children of Israel, they stripped themselves of their ornaments, all of their jewelry by Mount Horeb. So as a sign of their mourning and, and uh, humbling of themselves before God. And Moses then took his tent and he pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Now this is not the tabernacle that's been described in the book of Exodus that we're going to uh, see next week that ends up getting built. Uh, this is just Moses' tent. And until the, new, the, the tabernacle is built, uh, he uses his own tent as a place to meet with God. Now, he takes this tent and he puts it outside of the camp because the camp has been defiled by the sin, by the worship of of the golden calf. And so again there is this reinforcing among God's people that there is a consequence for sin. It affects uh, the fullness of God being able to be upon our lives. And of course, nobody wants to be in that kind of a place. It's a miserable place uh, to be. So Moses becomes Because the camp has been defiled, he moves his tent outside there and he begins to meet with God in that place. Now, this is interesting because. What it tells us is that God's judgment and, and uh, his closeness and relationship to people is not uh, indiscriminate. He hasn't just taken and said, all right, all two to three million of you, I'm not going to have anything to do with you based upon what a third of you have done in the worshiping of this golden calf or however many did. There was still the ability that for Moses and for others, anyone that wanted to could go to that tent and draw close to God not, every, uh, not everyone bore the consequences of, 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 of everyone in, in, uh, in the sin that was there. And so he put it far outside the camp, again, reinforcing the idea that, that our sin forces God to distance himself from us. And then it came to pass that everyone, so no one is is excluded here, everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So everybody could draw close to God at that same tent that Moses had set up, and so it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all of the people rose, so you can imagine, two to three million people out there in the wilderness, all of the tents everywhere, Moses' tent is separated from the camp, everybody sees, he's heading out there, in, across the desert, kind of, and, and uh, so, was it Moses is heading out to the tabernacle, and so, all kinds of, it would have been very, very visual sight, uh, for a lot of people to see it, so Whenever they saw Moses going out to the tabernacle, the people would rise. Each man stood at his tent door, and he watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. This is beautiful related to the people. Remember, it hasn't been too long ago that they were saying, As for this man Moses, I don't know what's become of him. Make us something to worship, physical, to lead us around and all. Now there's a renewed respect for Moses, and that's a healthy thing too. And so they've gotten humbled uh, over their treatment. of of God's appointed leader there. And, uh, and, and a healthy respect has returned to their lives. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And so as that cloud he'd enter into the, to the tent and then uh, this great cloud would come upon the tent representing the presence of God. What God is doing here before the children of Israel is communicating his pleasure with Moses. They had been displeased with Moses. They had slandered Moses. And uh, God is just reconfirming to them, this is my leader, I am very pleased with him, and I am pleased to meet with him. So God is unworking some attitudes, some unhealthy attitudes that have developed uh, among among his uh, people. And so God didn't abide in the tent. It was just when Moses went into the tent, God then came uh, down uh, uh, upon it there and and met with him. And and talked with him. And the people saw the pillar. Of uh, all the people, saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose in worship. Each man in his tent uh, door, and and so here they are. They they as they see that the presence of God come upon the tent, and and they would stand now as an act of of worship. Even the ones that wouldn't go to the tent themselves, they'd stand in their own doorway. Again, they're they're growing in an appreciation for the presence of God, a respect for the presence of God. Lots of healthy things that are you know, when a person does a golden calf thing, it's just not, hey, I wanted to I wanted to worship a golden calf. When you melt down like that, there's typically a lot of things that are going on in a person's life that have just kind of, that people have played with, attitudes, lots of things. Now they just all converge at a moment in time, and then this catastrophe occurs. So God's got a lot of work that He wants to do in these people uh, to have them have a proper attitude toward him and and uh, what he's trying to do through them and the leaders that he's using uh, to do that and so here they are each man would stand at his door when he saw this and so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his uh, friend and so uh, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face now it cannot be that uh, you know God showed up in the tent and 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 physically met face to face with Moses because in verse 20 we're going to see in, in just three hours that uh, the Lord uh, tells Moses, uh, even there, that no one can see him face to face and live. So what it's talking about is a closeness of, of relationship, of, of fellowship that they're having. He's, they, they, the way that friends have a clear, open communication, this is the kind of communication that God had with Moses. It was direct, it was personal. God was not communicating to Moses through visions or through spiritual gifts, or through his word, or or any of these other ways, as wonderful as those things are, he was meeting and speaking uh, to Moses uh, personally. Uh, There's no better conversation than that, uh, is there? So here's Moses enjoying great, great intimacy uh, with, uh, with God. And he would return to the camp but his servant Joshua the son of Nun a young man did not depart uh, from the tabernacle so he'd always remain behind by the tabernacle kind of Moses's right hand man and uh, he had some responsibility related to that tent but we're not told what and then the lord said then Moses said to the lord see you say to me bring up this people but you've not let me know whom you will send with me yet you have said i know uh, i know you by name and and you have also found grace in my sight and now therefore I pray if I have found grace in your sight show me now your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people and so what Moses is telling God is in essence is God I know you and we'll continue here in a moment I know you but this angel that you're promising to lead us into the land, I don't know this angel. I have a history with you. I want you to lead us and lead this people into the promised land. So God has said what he's going to said. Has said what, has said what he said related to this but Moses is now engaging in an intercession in order to speak to God about whether he would uh, relent and then himself lead them into the promised land. And he said the Lord said my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to the Lord if your presence does not go with us don't bring us up from here I don't want to go anywhere you don't lead us for how will it then be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us and so we shall be separate your people and I from all the people who are on the face of the earth and so Moses says angel shmangel I don't want any angels I want to go uh, there with uh, with you Lord when you called me to lead these people into the promised land you told me you would do it you told me this this would be you and me doing this I don't know if I'd have signed up for an angel on this thing I signed up because of your presence because of what would happen between you and me as, as we would do this great great thing uh, together and and so he's asking now god i i want you to to do this as as uh, as i had hoped that you would you know a lot of people get excited about angels i remember in 1985 when we uh, first came to modesto and uh, boy that was an angel phase in the body of christ i mean angels 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 books on angels everybody's talking about angels and angels like there's no god behind the angels and all and and angels are wonderful but i mean the greater thing is the presence of 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 god and that's how he wanted god to show his his uh, favor to him that's what he valued most moses valued most in God was was his his presence. I, I think it is very, very important and very, very beautiful to see in Moses in, in all of this as he's interceding with God and talking with him about these things. How much Moses valued the presence of God above everything else. Above everything else. And in, in essence he's saying, Lord, I don't need Canaan. I don't need milk. I don't need honey. I don't need land. I don't need power. I had all of that in Egypt. I need you. I'm in this for you and with you. What's important to me, God, is the relationship with you. That's why I wanted to do all of this all along. And that's what He's saying to Him. Any of us, As we know the Lord, you know exactly where Moses is on a lesser degree, unless God has called you to lead two to three million people out of Egypt into the promised land. But he calls us, doesn't he? Individually calls us to do something for his kingdom, uh, to take a step of faith and and all. And when you take that step and you say, Lord, all right, I'm I'm going to do it. The only reason I'm going to do it is because I know you're telling me and that you'll be with me and you take that step out to do that certain thing and and the only reason you do it is I know God will be with me but you take that I know God will be with me away and I don't want to take a step, an inch step in any direction. So we understand how much the presence of God. God, I'll go do that as long as you go with me. And uh, that's exactly what Moses was asking for uh, here. I, I hope we never ever lose our awe of the presence of God with us. As he calls us to do the different things that that he calls us to do. And so the Lord, interesting in verse 16 here. When he talks about the presence of God and he says, For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? And so we shall be, a separ- uh, be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Uh, what Moses is saying is, in, in terms of how the ancient peoples saw their deities or their gods, they, they saw them as territorial gods. Uh, And so when you read through the Old Testament, the historical books, and you'll see maybe the Moabites or the Philistines, they would fight against the children of Israel or someone else. They would fight them in the valley, and they'd lose. So they'd say, wow, our God isn't very good in this valley, so let's go up on the hilltop and fight there. And then if they won, they'd come to the conclusion, our God is good on the mountains and not good on the valleys. So for the rest of their history, they would try and fight on the mountaintops instead of, in, in the valley. So they, they viewed, you know, if you've ever driven, you know, from Northern California to Southern California, and all, you know you can't just, well, you've got satellite now, but you know you can't uh, put your ra- FM radio station on a station and then just listen to it all the way down. You get to Merced or at water, it fades out now you 've got to find that same program somewhere else on it and and pick it up, and then it 'll fade again and fade again that 's kind of how they viewed the gods. they had a certain reach to them, and uh, if you went outside of the reach of that god then then you 're kind of on your own but the way that the children of Israel were, and the way that the God of the children of Israel was, and is, and what made the children of Israel different in the Old Testament is their God traveled with them. That was un- completely unique and made them a different people. Their God is strong in the valley, strong on the mountaintops, strong on the hills, strong in the rivers, strong anywhere because he's, he's with them in their fullness. And so, again, He's talking about the presence of God uh, in our lives, making us unique as his people in all of the world and so the Lord said to Moses I will also do this thing that you have spoken and here's the reason for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name God says I'll do it I'll do it we'll pull off the angel thing and I will lead you in to personally into the promised land now Moses is so cute. Can you call Moses cute? I don't know if you can do that. You see the old pictures in the museums and stuff. But he's funny right here. And so what has he done? He has been interceding to God, praying that God would give him this request of, uh, of personally leading them into the promised land. So he kind of has to think, wow, I'm a little bit on, I'm on a roll here. I'm on a prayer roll. So he's going to ask God for something even bigger. And that's the way that it works. That's the way it works with prayer. You ever have God take and you're interceding for something and you're you're asking Him for something and in His will and all, and then He does it. What does that always do? It always produces great confidence in prayer, and then you ask God for the next thing, and oftentimes the next thing is bigger. So here he is, his his intercession has been effective with God, and so now he's going to become even bolder in his request uh, of God. And so he then uh, says to the Lord, Lord, please show me your glory. (laughs) That's a little tiny verse, but... uh, like to see you in all your glory, God. I mean, while we're at it here. I'm fixed. I mean, nobody's ever done it in, in history or anything like that. But, but I mean, you, know, you have not because you ask not. I mean, there's no harm in asking, is there? And so, so he asked the Lord. Uh, he wants a fresh revelation of, of the Lord's uh, uh, glory here. I mean, you talk about asking big. I mean, he does. That's a big thing. You know what? Especially for those of us who've walked with the Lord for a while, uh, older saints, ask big, (laughs) think big, believe big, step out big in the will of, of God. That's what Moses does here. Think about Moses' accomplishments. Think about the books he could have written on on things. I mean, here, how many people have have been used by God, raised in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, then takes the people out of Egypt, the most powerful country in the world, all of the plagues, all of the things. If there was a guy who could have sat back on his laurels and said, all right, that's enough for one man. I mean, they can't ask anything more of me than that. and, And rest on their laurels, it could have been Moses. He doesn't do it. You stay hungry. Stay hungry for more related to God till the day you die as a Christian. That's the spirit of Moses. That's the spirit of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Never, ever stop growing. And so he asks for uh, to, to see his glory and then the Lord said to him I mean this fabulous I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion and so the Lord promises because of his love and appreciation for uh, his his uh, the in response to the request that's being uh, uh, made here and all, he promises that he will do it. But the Lord gave a, re- a restriction on it. Uh, he said, "You cannot see my face, for no man can see me by, by face and uh, live." To see that a uh, to see God in the fullness, uh, fullness of His glory in this uh, this fallen body, every one of us would die. God still has plans for Moses. Sometimes people say, Well, you know, God, if you're real, would you just just show up right here in my bedroom? They have no idea what they're praying for. Poof! It's an ash heap. We <laughs> have time to get saved. <laughs> and, and so we need a new body to be able to process some of these. Moses did process what it is that he's... He's requesting uh, here. So a total vision of God's glory would have been fatal for him. But he can handle a little bit of afterglow. And uh, that's what God's going to give to him. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock, and it shall be while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you by my hand while I pass by. And then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face uh, shall not be seen. And so uh, here... Uh, he, He tells him he's going to put him in the cleft of the rock. God will go by him. And then after God has gone by, all that Moses can handle of seeing of God is the afterglow. Of, of of God having passed by in in His His presence, and so that's what the Lord uh, promises uh, to him, and so that that what remains of God walking by, that's all that Moses could could handle, and uh, whatever Moses experienced there in in all of that was only a, a glimpse of what. You know what we experience as Christians and one day will experience. Chapter 34 And the Lord said to Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first one and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. And so remember Moses had broken the Ten Commandments the stones as he came down and saw them worshipping the golden calf and now he's commanded to cut uh, two uh, stones like the first one. The only difference being is that God cut the first Two and uh, Moses is now required to cut this second two. And be ready in the morning to come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And so he tells him, Get ready tomorrow morning, I want you to come back up uh, to the top of Mount uh, Sinai. And no man shall come up with you, and no man shall be seen throughout all the mountains, but neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. And so he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and then Moses rose early in the morning. That's his eagerness for God. No, you know, uh, musician here. uh, Getting up at 11 and heading out at uh, uh, (laughs) 11.59. Headed up in the morning. And then Moses rose early in the morning went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone and the Lord now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there so Moses we're told was to come up he comes up and then God descends down upon that mountain I mean the the superiority of God to Moses one goes up toward God the other one must come down or there's no contact and there as he as he stood uh, with him there, uh, the Lord proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God... Merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And so the Lord now reveals himself uh, to Moses, and we're told there in verse 5 that God did so by proclaiming the name of the Lord. Now, In this culture when we name someone we just name them after an aunt or an uncle or a you know favorite teacher or uh, some kind of a friend or a name that we just like out of a a baby name book and all the Jews didn't uh, view names in that way Uh, when a Jew spoke about a name or you read in the Bible about the name of the Lord the name always represented the nature of the person so when God declares his name here he's not just giving him a bunch of syllables and say, "This is what you're supposed to, you know, say when you refer to me." God is describing Himself to Moses uh, here, and and so he's he is declaring his nature. This is what I'm like, and so you've got it from the highest authority. This is what God the Father is like. He's merciful, verse six. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. That means he has a long fuse. You and I are both testimonies to that. He's abounding in goodness that is he's very very faithful and committed in his love toward us, abounding in truth. That means he's true, and he only speaks the truth to us. He keeps mercy for thousands, and then notice that he forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And, he, and there's three words used for uh, for sin that is there. So iniquity, transgression, and sin. So he um, he knows us very well, doesn't he? And uh, he says, I've, I've got to provide forgiveness for every kind of wrongdoing with these people, and. And if they're to have any hope, and he he does it. Iniquity refers to perverting the ways of of the Lord. Transgression, when you read that in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, always refers to deliberate sin it is it is to know to do it is to know better than to do a wrong and i do it anyway that's transgression deliberate sin but he also he forgives that and he also forgives sin that's just uh, any sin that we might commit it might not be deliberate we might be trying as hard as we can to live for god today and at the end of the day we say wow i wish i'd never said that in that conversation i didn't deliberately do it but i did sin there and and so god Uh, covers uh, all of those three kinds of of sins. Now the children of Israel had committed all three. Uh, against him and god knew that they needed the reassurance that he had the forgiveness for all manner of sin and we sin against god all manner of sin against him and and to know that that the blood of jesus christ uh, covers all of it not that we would become sloppy and engage in sin but it would make us be more desirous of of a holy life now when he talks about there in verse seven by no means clearing the guilty but visiting the iniquity of the fathers of Upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Um, I remember many, many years ago here in Modesto, they had a speaker come in and uh, did this whole generational spirit thing. And man, we've been probably three years picking up the pieces uh, from from that seminar on things. Everybody's just terrified of of the sins that their parents had committed and their grandparents and their great grandparents and did it open up a door to the devil into the family and now I'm a Christian but this thing is a foothold has been given and oh it was just so complicated and, and unnecessarily so in the light of the fact that when we become Christians God Almighty in the person of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives I don't care what anybody did uh, before and in, in our families so but there's a lot of money to be made on this whole generational spirit things. People get afraid and all. That's not what God's talking about here. What he's talking about he's, he's referencing back to when he gave earlier it, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 and it's referring to those who uh, continue in the sins deliberately continue the wickedness and the sins of their parents that uh, uh, that that, they, that the iniquity, the, the consequences consequences of that sin would continue uh, upon them, you know, if, if they didn't repent of that rebellion and evils of, of their parents and, and, their, and their forefathers. One of the greatest things, I think, uh, and I think so many of us are, are, are thankful for it in, in our lives. How many, of you, how many of you in this room here tonight, is the, you're the first Christian in your family, just a show of hands. So first Christian, look at how many, look around, don't put your hands up, look at how many, look at how many that's fabulous, you can put your hands down now and and you think about I mean generation and generation of this and that and all but God came into your life in order to uh, for you to start something new related to your family and what comes now uh, after you, God is able to do these these kind of uh, wonderful miracles. Praise the Lord uh, for that. And, and uh, now, one of the interesting things too about this is in chapter uh, in, in verses uh, six and seven here. There you have, in, in terms of the entirety of the Old Testament, you have the pinnacle of the Jews understanding of the nature of God right there that description when they would want to say what is God like they would go straight here to Exodus chapter uh, 34 to those verses and say this is what God Almighty Himself declared Himself to be and I'll tell you that is a fabulous revelation but look at the revelation you and I have as Christians When we say, what is God, what is the Father truly like? And we're able to look at the life of Jesus. Now how broad is that definition? Remember when Jesus was meeting with the disciples on the night before the cross and one of them said, show us the Father, that'll be enough for us. (laughs) And Jesus said, Philip, have I been with you so long? He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Now you think about that as a Christian here tonight. Think about how blessed we are for the description and the revelation of God that's been given to us by Jesus. Jesus said, I I do only those things that please the Father. I say only what the Father directs me to say. Sometimes people have an idea that, you know, you've got the Father up there, and he's always just a little edgy, just a little cranky up in heaven. And uh, best not to mess with him at all. You never know what moo you're going to catch him in and all and then Jesus is the nice guy in, in the Godhead. you want to work with him and he's always got a lamb over his shoulders and, and stuff he does, he does stuff like that we can we like that you know and he's more approachable and all so we can, to think that they're two entirely different natures or two entirely different uh, persons and, and character but it's not true they're exactly the same. when you see Jesus how he handles himself In any situation in the Gospels, that is exactly what the Father is like and what He would do uh, in that situation. Praise the Lord tonight for the revelation that we have of the Father through Jesus and to be able to have so much by the Holy Spirit recorded in the Word of God for us to spend our lives uh, studying it. I think it's uh, very, very fabulous. You think about the simplest uh, saint... The simplest member of the body of Christ has an almost infinitely greater revelation of God than even Moses, the greatest single person under the old covenant that's why when you go to the book of hebrews and the theme of the book of hebrews is jesus is better jesus is best he's better than everything in the old testament our portion is better in every way than even moses's portion in the old testament amazing how blessed uh, we are and so moses made haste and he bowed his head toward the earth this is his Response uh, to this revelation, well, he just starts to worship uh, the Lord. He bowed his head toward the earth and he worshipped. And then his verbal response, he said, "If now I have found face and grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin." and take us as your inheritance and so lord graciously commit to us in your plan uh, for our lives and then the lord said behold i make a covenant before all your people i will do all do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation and all the people among you uh, Um, among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you and so God promises to do amazing miracles unprecedented miracles and and bringing them into the land now they'd seen some miracles And out of Exodus, out of Egypt in the Exodus, God promises even greater things for them. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I'm driving out from before you the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. And so Moses just, "Ah." (sighs) all right he's going with us (laughs) beat him, bust him, that's our custom beat them, bust them, that's our custom you never forget those high school yells, you you should forget them but you don't forget them I mean the victory is assured, God is going with us, how many cheerleaders do we have, just kidding so he is just thrilled at this promise but the God gives him a warning now take heed to yourself lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. And so God warns them, I'm going to go with you. You're going to go into the midst of this land, a lot of idolatry, a lot of wickedness and, and paganism going on there. I don't want you to make any covenant, any alliance with with them. It'll become a, a trap uh, to you. Now, the the nations that possessed the, the, the land of Canaan, at this point in time they would never enter into any kind of a treaty with another group of people without involving their gods as a witness to that treaty so God is saying listen you can't even make an agreement with them without compromising uh, to their gods no agreement no covenant you're to be separated away uh, from from them, otherwise it's going to trap you, just like the golden calf trapped you. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. Uh, there, as they would go into the land, don't keep them, don't store them, don't open up a museum that is uh, filled with artifacts of all of the things that they worshipped and were involved in. They were to destroy, cold-blooded murder, destroy not uh, not the people but the the uh, things that they were worshiping i mean have they were to be merciless related to those those things because there's a power there's a spirit behind those things i remember a couple uh, israel trips ago we were, had the blessing of being able to go with our family Extended family, children and grandchildren, and the Karen's parents up in front of us, and uh, and generationally, so it was fun to all be together on that. We went into the Israel Museum in uh, in Jerusalem, and as we were going in there, I had little A in my arms, one of uh, the youngest of our grandchildren, and she's just a little whippersnapper at that time. So I'm walking through this uh, museum. I mean, it's just a beautiful, tremendous museum there. And uh, we turned a corner and walked into this one room, and I'm holding her, and there's people walking around, you know how it is, and they're just looking at all that, uh, mm-hmm, mm, uh, 3,500 B.C., uh-huh, okay, Ashtoreth, and this, and they're just looking at all of these images and all these idols and things that have been excavated now, and they're in the museum. So I'm holding Amy May in my arms, she lets out, and she says, Idols! <laughs> The idols, there's idols in this room, and all. And you know, she's shouting it out, you know, and everybody in the room's turning and looking. It's just a museum, kid. You know, we're just looking around here at the things. But I, ju- I love the innocence of her heart. Innocence of her. I mean, she I said, Wow, that I mean, it was a wake up call to me. I was just coming in, oh, yes, this is a, oh, yes, Oh yes, mm, 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 mm. yes, yeah, so it's fascinating, you know, like that. And I said, right, I'm in a room full of idols. So he warns, he, he, he warned them on, on this. That just destroy uh, all of it, every single bit of it. No uh, mercy related to that. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a Jealous God. Our God is a Jealous God. I don't know how many of you are married here tonight. But God is, he is jealous in a healthy way. I'm not talking about an unhealthy, uh, fleshly jealousy. The Bible condemns that. But God isn't interested in sharing any of us with an idol. And idolatry is the worship of any created thing. As we spoke about this morning, there's two two great categories in the universe. There is God and there is everything else. There is God and there is the creation. And to worship the creation, whether it's in a physical form or a philosophical form or any of these other things, to worship those things in addition to God or over God is to engage in idolatry. That's what idolatry uh, is. And, and so in the Old Testament, God's relationship with the children of Israel was they were the wife of of Jehovah, that's kind of, the, and he was communicating the intimacy of the relationship, the closeness of the relationship that he had with him. In the New Testament, we are called the bride of Christ, so it's a very, uh, a very beautiful close relationship. How many of you would be willing to have your husband or wife come home and say, you know, listen, I mean, we've had a pretty good marriage and things are pretty nice, you know, but I mean, uh, I mean, how, uh, I mean, how can I give myself, you know, this. Uh, great person that I am completely to one person. I mean, come on, there's a lot to worship out there. And uh, so I'd like, to, I'd like to have you about 75% of the time and I'd like to sneak this other person in here for about uh, 25% of my life and my heart. What husband or wife's going to put up with that? Seventy-five percent, twenty-five percent. I'll give you seventy-five percent, twenty-five percent. I mean, it's just we just think that, that's unthinkable. What kind of an idiot would even propose that kind of thing? And yet, spiritually, it happens all the time, where people look and compartmentalize. God gets this section, the world gets this section, or this sin gets this section. This kind of thing, and God's supposed to be okay with that, and He's not okay with that. He is a jealous God. He has paid a great price to possess us totally, deserves all of our worship toward Him, worship heart, mind, soul, and uh, strength, and He's not willing to share us with anyone else. And so God says, uh, He reminds Him, I'm a jealous God here. There isn't a sharing thing uh, in, in this. So He said, Destroy all of those idols, and then here it is, Lest, verse 15, Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot, with their gods, make sacrifices to their gods. One of them invites you, and you eat his sacrifice. And then the next thing you know, you take of his daughters for your sons, and his uh, of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molded gods for yourself. He says to him, no compromise with these people no compromise with the world no compromise with with their sin their idolatry there's to be a separation between you and them because if you don't separate first word of verse 15 lest there is a progression that always follows and the progression is very very fascinating i'll just lay it out to you very briefly you can study it on your own a little bit later there in verse 15 the first step is the child of God comes in and says, Well, we'll just live and let live. I mean, it's it's not so bad as an attitude. And, you know, they worship what they worship and and these different kinds of things. And so uh, let's just learn to live with it. And then the second step is then compromise uh, on, on our part for the sake of, of peace, you know. Well, we're strong enough to compromise. And, and we know that these aren't really gods and, and this kind of a thing. And, 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 uh, 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 and so we'll give, you know, we'll... Uh, for the sake of peace we'll engage in these activities but we're safe as it relates to this They'll ne- it'll never suck us in or draw us into uh, to, to its power or anything like that but the children are watching the children are watching and the one generation may get away with murder on some of that stuff but the next generation what do we do we lose our children to the ungodly culture and they're pulled into all of it And God says, He's looking at this thing all the way down uh, for generations. Don't do it. Even if you can survive it during your three score and ten, because of the foundation that's been built in your life before you found yourself in that place, your children will not survive it. You know, it's heartbreaking. One of the hardest things to watch in the body of Christ, I, I, I want to mention it so it's something that we're, none of us will be guilty of, but I, I see it over and over again, where you see a person who's been raised in the things of the Lord, godly grandparents, godly parents, building great, great things into their life. They have a tremendous foundation in the Word and all, relationship with God and history with God and all of these kinds of things. Someone's taken the time to do that. And then they decide at some point in time that because of this great foundation that they have, instead of using it to go deeper into God, to accomplish great things for the kingdom of God, they decide that they're going to live as close to the world as they can without becoming a a full kind of reprobate or fully engage in the wickedness of the world. And so they do that. They pull back. And, you know, because of the foundation that's been laid in their life, very often they can survive it. They can survive their lukewarmness. They can survive their compromise, their lack of zeal and, and, and holiness. But what they forget about is their children. And they take their children out of church and they expose their children to things that they were never exposed to, but their children then enter into teenage years, into adult life, and they don't even have remotely the foundation that was built into their parents' lives that allowed their parents to survive on some level their foolishness, and then the children are lost, they're swept away. By the grace of God, I and mean it's only the grace of God that can pull them back in, we must never ever engage in that kind of a reproduction spiritually as it relates to our, our children. What God, what God has used other people to do in our lives... We have a responsibility to pass on to our children and give them the same advantage in life that someone else uh, gave us. And God is warning related to that. And the feast. Of the uh, and then he heads into verse 18 and here God reiterates his commands related to the feast and the Sabbath and the sacrifices. These are all things that he has spoken of previously um, in uh, earlier in the book of Exodus. Now because he's uh, uh, reestablished his uh, um, you know kind of covenant with them now to that he's uh, to work with them and he's not through with them, he reiterates these things to them. The feast of the Un- Unleavened bread, you shall keep seven days. You shall eat unleavened bread as I commanded you in the appointed time of the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib you shall cut. You came out of Egypt, and so they're they're to keep the feast of unleavened bread. All that open the womb are mine, every male uh, firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep. And so the firstborn among the ceremonial clean animals were to be given to God. He's already spoken of all of this. Then. Concerning unclean animals, but the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you do not redeem him uh, because he is the Lord's, then you shall break his neck. You can't kill him because that would be to bleed an un- uh, an unclean animal. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest time you shall rest. He reiterates the importance of a Sabbath rest. Uh, a day, a week uh, with him, no matter how busy a person might uh, uh, be at different seasons in life, You shall uh, and you shall observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of the wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end, and three times in the year, all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, for I will cast out the nations before you, and enlarge your borders, neither will any man covet your land, when you go up to appear before the Lord your God, three times a year, so, He commands the men to go to Israel for these feasts three times a year. He knows that one of the things they're going to think of is, Wow, while I'm gone, is somebody going to come in and steal my land and steal my crop? And those things. And God is just telling him, Listen, any time you spend and you set aside in your life for the worship of me, I'll protect your back on this thing. Uh, Even today, if a person takes and says, Wow... The business that I'm in, it's 24-7, you know, and it's just crazy and you can't take any time out for God or you're just not going to have the edge that you need and all. Take time for God. Uh, God will look out for your business and he'll, He knows what, what you need. God will never allow uh, us to be taken advantage of uh, for time that we set aside to seek God. And you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Leaven's a type of sin. Nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. The first fruits of the land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Again, a reiteration of things we've all looked we've looked at before and then the lord said to moses write these words for according to the tenor of these words i have made a covenant with you and with israel and so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, he neither ate nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And so he's been gone now 40 days and 40 nights and all of this, and uh, the uh, children of Israel at the base of the mountain, they handled things a little bit better this time. Moses comes down from the mount, and uh, they're there they're waiting for him. And so it was when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with God. And so he's up there, he's communing with God, and there's an afterglow on his face. That's why we have an afterglow, to meet with God and to wait on him, and wait on the exercise of spiritual gifts. This is where it comes from. Nobody, any anytime we meet with God in prayer or uh, reading the word, drawing close to him, there's always an Afterglow on our life as a result of it It's not physical like the one with Moses But it is a spiritual afterglow There is, a, there is a, a, an effect or a result Of meeting with God His happened to be a physical one here Because of the glory of God And so when Aaron And all the children of Israel, they saw Moses, they saw this uh, glow to his life, behold the skin of his face shone, and their reaction was they were afraid to come near him. Now we know the Bible a little bit, and we know, okay, he's okay, all right. just means he's close to God, and that's on his life and everything. They'd never seen anything like this before. What happened to Moses up there? So they're afraid uh, uh, to come near to him. Moses called to them, and so he calms them down, and and all, and he called to them and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him and then Moses talked with them and afterward all of the children of Israel came near and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai and when Moses had finished speaking with them he put the veil on his face uh, to cover uh, the glow of, of his face but whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him he'd go into that tent of meeting he'd take the veil off when he was one-on-one with God so he'd take the veil off until he came out. When he came out of the tent of, of tabernacle to speak to the children of, of Israel, he'd put that veil back over. So he'd go in and meet with God, come out to speak uh, to the children of Israel, whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with uh, the Lord again. And so... So uh, Moses was. Uh, this is how he he handled uh, all, all of that. The the afterglow uh, uh, upon his face. Now in in Second Corinthians uh, chapter three, uh, the Holy Spirit uses this event with Moses to illustrate uh, uh, and, and speak of the the glory, the superior glory that is upon even the simplest Christian. The simplest, most unknown Christian in, in the world has a greater glory upon their lives than Moses had, uh, the great Moses had, in, in the Old uh, Testament. And there in Second in Corinthians chapter 3, uh, Paul declares by the Spirit of God that if the afterglow of Moses' meeting with God uh, in the context of the law was glorious, and it was, it was very glorious, then how much more glorious is the glow or the effect upon the Christian who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit who takes us from glory to glory in our relationship with God Moses's glory was a reflected glory It, it was God's glory was reflecting off of him in the same way that the moon reflects the glory of the Sun all of that's great but it doesn't compare With the glory that we have, our portion as Christians because of Jesus. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who then takes us from one glory to another in our relationship with God. And so here is Moses, he's covering his face so that the people don't see the glory fading from him as he's away uh, from God. And and what uh, Paul is declaring there is that he's Hiding the fact that this reflected glory would fade over time. And it was communicating that the law cannot produce a lasting glory in a person's life. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And the quality of of life and, and relationship with God that the law produces can't even compare with the quality of life and relationship with God that the Holy Spirit produces within us. He takes us from glory to glory unveiled face all the time because the glory never fades it always becomes greater and greater and greater the longer we walk with the Lord praise the Lord for the presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives you think about this tonight now I'll only be another hour I want you to think about this here we sit I mean here we are in Modesto it's a wonderful city but it's not that highly thought of. I mean, you go over, you go over to Carmel or whatever, and they say, "Where are you, where are you from, Modesto?" Oh, okay. They sniff at you, getting away from the heat. Are you all right? You know. Where you say, "Where are you from, Modesto?" Oh, where in the world is that? Well, you know, it's right there between Stockton and Fresno, and ah, I broke down there once. So that's, the name of the city means modest. It, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a wonderful place to live because of people, because of people, not because of the planning of the streets. <laughs> because of the people, that's what makes this city. You take the, you take what the people are in this city. I'm preaching to the choir. I know that, and you, you don't have much as a city here. It's the people that make this place. And I know that's true of any place But it's very true of of this place And so here we are In in a simple little place called Modesto And here you are You sit here maybe, Maybe you know 20 people in the room Maybe you're the most popular person At Calvary Chapel of Modesto Maybe nobody knows you And yet you know the Lord And every single Christian in this room Is almost infinitely richer than Moses, the greatest character in the Old Testament, in the eyes of the Jews next to Abraham. It is amazing who we are and what we have because of Jesus. And that's what the Old Testament teaches us. That's what it teaches us. People sometimes they don't want to read the Old Testament and they don't want to go through it and there's nothing that it says. What it says to us is it teaches us how blessed we are and how appreciative we should be because of all that we have in Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is best. We get to live a life as Christians that the Old Testament saints could only dream of as they read the prophecies concerning the coming of Messiah. You're a blessed person tonight. It's good to leave tonight and head out into the week as a Christian and to realize if nobody else knows my name because Jesus knows me and loves me and I've put my faith in Him, I am richer than anyone who ever lived in the Old Testament. And you are. We are blessed. All spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Let's stand together and we'll pray and close the worship team come forward that'd be great before we do close If you're here tonight and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, you need to get one of those. And it's there for the asking. There are going to be men and women up in front immediately after the service. They're going to have a badge on that says prayer so you can identify them easily. And they'd love to pray with you to begin a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you need prayer for anything tonight, you know what you brought into the room tonight. God knows. And maybe you need someone to care about you a little bit tonight and 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 care enough to lift up that need to the Lord. You say, I've been lifting it up all week, but I I want someone else to do that with me. These men and women would love to pray with you and pray for you. Take advantage of the opportunity tonight. Lord, thank you for how rich you have made us. In Christ Jesus. We love to follow Moses and and see all the things that are happening and, and all and the, the lessons that are learned there. But Lord, tonight we take away the single great lesson of as we look at how blessed this man was and how much he fought and in intercession and and desired and pleaded and cried out for the, the for even a short season in his life and history, the things that are ours every day, all day, all of our lives as as we know Christ. Thank you, Lord, for our Savior tonight. Thank you for the the blessing of, of knowing him and all that you have brought into our lives through him. We give you praise tonight in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen.